0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg. We here at Humankind are trying to strike a balance to make our public radio programs available to you and also to make sure we're able to pay our production costs from office rent to staff time to studio and distribution expenses. The grants we receive from funders you hear named on our programs don't fully cover our operating costs. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep our program and this podcast going. Please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of our homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. This Humankind special project, The Power of Nonviolence, is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by a major grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. In some sense, there's a question of, like, where do we put our trust?
1: Do we put our trust in violence and power, or do we place our trust in love and compassion? And it seems to me it's a it's sort of the cynic, uh, the cynical realist who will say, oh, that love and compassion is, they're fine words, but in the real world we have to fight. What faith says to me is that we have to trust in love and compassion, and I, I have come to believe that it's it's a much more
0: powerful force. The struggle to cultivate true compassion for others and ourselves and how that can cool down a violent world. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. It was the Roman poet Virgil observed more than 2,000 years ago that love conquers all. I don't take that to mean that self-defense is inappropriate in a dangerous world. But we live at a time when reliance on lethal arsenals is sometimes the first reflex in reacting to conflict, even when that may pour gasoline on the fire. The potent weapon of compassion is easily overlooked and underestimated, and the use of force can take many forms
2: violence is not just in these these horrific places that we see in the news those, those are echoes and ripples of the violence
0: that happened within all of our communities and families. Professor Frank Rogers teaches spiritual formation at the Claremont School of Theology near Los Angeles. He's author of Practicing Compassion, which takes a wide view of how to understand the problem of brutality and to find solutions. Even the subtle forms
2: of violence, the ways that we just don't hear each other and we minimize and we critique and we judge and um, we're doing violence to each other spirits and to each other's bodies um, in simple, insidious ways uh, in all of our communities. Uh, so it's, it's not them out there that are the violent ones, or violence is a problem over there,
0: just a kind of a, a harshness and coldness that people Absolutely. have
2: toward each other? Harshness, a coldness, a, a, an inability or refusal to hear other persons, to tolerate opinions that are different from us, a tendency to want to demonize or marginalize certain groups of people, and separating ourselves from each other. We do emotional violence continually. I mean, it happens, it happens quite frequently. And those are the seeds that uh, we just see the big trees on the news, on the headlines. But but the but the, the, the saplings for those are in every single one of our communities and families
0: they're so saying we have to own that we have to own before that. we can get a handle on preventing these extreme tragedies that grab the headlines
2: exactly so let's cultivate violence prevention or let's cultivate compassionate connection um, within our own families and communities um, and organizations let's let's cultivate ways of, of recognizing each other as human beings cultivate times of really listening to one another
0: have you ever been inclined toward violence?
2: Um, I've been, I've felt that way, absolutely. You know, part, part of, well, and it's partly being an abuse survivor is um, um, you can find moments of just reactivity where something will trigger it and just currents like, uh, lightning bolts of rage of just wanting to scream to 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 kill to pound and um and I was absolutely acting in those violent impulses not at other people actually though for me I turned it inward and so was extremely um um involved in self-destructive behavior and um acting out my rage that way or or nightmares or you know, being in the hills and screaming and pounding on things, I mean, absolutely, I know that that capacity to be violent and, and oh, how I would have loved to be able to turn that on uh, the persons who were either causing me pain or the persons who just triggered it and, you know, I thought were the source but had nothing to do with it perhaps or very little but could become targets of my rage. Uh, I know that violent impulse. It would have taken very little to, to kick me over the edge, to, to act violently towards another person in severe ways. And for whatever reason, I was lucky enough to have some, some check on that, that, that I controlled it in a different way, but it was still extraordinarily destructive, self-destructive.
0: was this inner battle that drove Frank Rogers into a deep consideration of ways to tame his aggressive instincts. He turned to his Catholic faith and focused on developing the skills needed to lead a life of compassion. And his message has reached places where the threat of violence is ever-present. This is Men's Central Jail, part of a bleak complex of correctional facilities near downtown Los Angeles. In the hallway, guards patrol a group of prisoners who walk the long corridor single file following colored lines on the floor. Inmates wear light blue uniforms that resemble hospital scrubs. This is one of the largest jails in the world and is notoriously plagued by overcrowding and mistreatment, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. For prisoners, staying
3: emotionally healthy here is a strain. I think that for some of us inmates or some of us people that live in this in, in the jail system, I think that Our self-talk is not very healthy. I think that it's negative
0: self-talk. Thomas Owenby of San Fernando Valley, age 47, is serving a five-year sentence for illegal possession for sales of prescription drugs. He's one of about 10 prisoners who signed up for a regular class at the jail, intended to help inmates study compassion skills based on Frank Rogers' philosophy.
3: A normal person that didn't have some of the upbringing or gone through some of the things that we've gone through um, they would have a more loving, nurturing self-talk than we do. And I think that with, with this compassion practice, it, it teaches us to take that moment out and take a deep breath and think about what we're, we're saying to ourselves or saying to somebody else and gives us a, a moment of clarity, so to speak, where we can change that self-talk, where we can love ourselves and we can love somebody else and see that we're both of value. Whereas before we learned this practice, or about compassion, that we didn't see that at all. All we saw was how much we could hurt the other person or have that confrontation and get what we wanted out of it.
1: When we're at our best, when we're our best self, our truest self, and we're in that compassionate stream, that compassionate pulse of life in the world, we don't need a compassion practice
0: because we're in it. Brother Dennis Gibbs, an Episcopal chaplain, leads the compassion training at Men's Central Jail. But what happens when we get
1: knocked off of that? Something happens, we get bad news, somebody says something, something within us is triggered, and we get knocked off our beam. That is when we need a compassion practice, a simple kit of spiritual tools that will bring us back to our center and it's a movement. It's a U-turn from reactivity to response. It's a U-turn from judgment to empathy and compassion. It's a U-turn from indifference to love. First for ourselves and then for the world.
2: Mm, love is revealed at the speed of light. You don't need to be a scientist to know that's right. Love is here today, tonight. Love Might be young and you could be old everybody needs a hand to hold. we know before we
3: I have to say that using this compassion practice this specific one that I've, I've learned with brother Dennis I use it a lot. Even without thinking, I use it on a daily basis.
0: Thomas Owenby has been assigned to a dorm setting for his incarceration. It's not an individual jail cell that might be shared with a single cellmate. The dorm is a large open space crammed with rows of bunk beds where multiple inmates are tightly confined.
3: There's 150 other personalities around me during the day, and most of them don't really... um, connect with me. A lot of them are very, there's a lot of conflict in that dorm. And so when I became aware of the steps of this practice, I've learned to step back and I've learned to take that breath and give myself some space and really think about who I am and how I feel and how the other person feels and have compassion for them even though I may not know what's going on with them. But it helps me rest in God knowing that that I can ask God in that moment of of conflict or compassion to be with me and help me through it, to guide me through it.
0: For Thomas, participating in the compassion class is part of his attempt to reestablish a spiritual life. As a teenager, he rejected the Seventh-day Adventist faith in which he was raised, which he felt was too rigid and intolerant. He has attended Protestant, Catholic, and other services since coming to jail, but formed a special bond with brother Dennis, who has helped him to cope with life behind bars.
3: When you have a a dorm setting especially, your nerves tend to get very short and frayed over anything. It can be somebody saying something to you, somebody looking at you the wrong way. I mean, you're just irritated from being in that confined environment with so many people, especially if they don't have respect for each other. Is there a lot of feeling of being degraded by the other people? There can be, but for me personally, it's not just the the other people, it's myself. Because I know that if I'm trying to work on me, that when I'm having this conflict, the first thing I have to do is look and see what I'm doing in that situation that's wrong. Because most of the time, it's not just the other person, it's me. Because I like to run my mouth, or I like to say things that are not kind. And those are just on instinct or on, on, on the moment, and... I know that that's not the true me. And I find myself on a daily basis stepping back from that conversation or that confrontation and having to look at the person and say, you know what, I'm sorry I said that because that's not where I want to come from. At the end of the day, I don't want to hurt you. And how does the other person react when you apologize with sincerity? Um, Usually, (laughs) there's a, a look on their face like... They can't believe that I'm saying it, especially me, because I'm one of the the mouthiest people in that dorm. It's progress, not perfection for me. I know that when I do that, that I'm setting an example, first of all, and also I'm helping myself because that's a a growing moment for me.
0: It's hard to conceive of a harsher social environment than prison. Inmates are often damaged people who've been marginalized and who sometimes behave crudely. In short, it's a place where newly-learned compassion skills will be tested. Brother Dennis Gibbs, who leads the compassion training, wasn't always the prison chaplain here. At one time, when struggling with alcohol and drug problems, he found himself incarcerated in the same jail on minor offenses. He's been clean and sober now for nearly 20 years.
1: It's a culture that's largely based in um, defensive posturing, uh, territorial marking and violence uh, and and once again these are this is the way people have grown up that comes from their societal their, their cultural background and um, so it is prevalent in the jails the tension can be tight sometimes and um, in most all of our teachings in the jail whether it be contemplative practice like lecture divina or centering prayer or uh, a spiritual formation program whatever that might be or the compassion practice all of it the the what undergirds all of our teaching is to be a compassionate presence in the world and to help people make that u-turn from one way of being uh, in in the world uh, to another way which is living a life of compassion and
0: love We're examining the importance of compassion as a tool for reducing social tension and preventing violence. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. To learn more and to download our entire series on the power of nonviolence or to obtain audio CD copies, please visit humanmedia.org. Across town in the Linwood section of Los Angeles, another jail, the Central Regional Detention Facility, which houses women prisoners, also offers training and compassion practice. A small group of inmates volunteer for weekly sessions.
4: I'm 23 years old. I never, I've never, i never been arrested until this time. And I'm incarcerated right now because of a decision that I made to be in the wrong place, the decision that I made to be with the wrong people, you know what I mean? And... It was a time where I was like, God, why me? You know, but God didn't put me here. The wrong decisions that I made put me here.
0: That's Shapuria Watkins from Los Angeles. People call her Rhea. She was sentenced to a year for robbery. With a guard hovering nearby, she sat with me and a fellow inmate, Davina Cox, age 24, from Compton, California, who's doing 15 years for great bodily injury related to gang activity. The classes, led by an Episcopal chaplain who visits the jail regularly, involve relaxation exercises, prayer, and spiritual discussions. Here's Davina.
4: We'll meditate, we'll get relaxed, and then we start opening up. And then like, we'll, have, we'll form a circle, and you start hearing how people feel. And deep down inside, you start hearing why they feel this type of way, their mother did this, or it's deeper than what we think. It's just, we just know them from being in jail. We really don't know you. Even if we sit with you every day and everything, we don't know you because we're in jail. Like, we never had a chance to be outside or, you know? So it's like, when you see people act in different type of ways and, and deal with certain situations so violently, and then we have certain, like, you know, her class, like Sister Greta class is like, you see them open up and sometimes we cry and sometimes we let it out because she gives us the chance to let it out and breathe. And and when we hear that, it's like, that's why, like you know? So now when we get the come out showers, you know, TV, phone for an hour, you know? So it's like now when just hearing coming from the class and we seeing that person, you get a, a different look at them like, you know, maybe we need to go over there and hug her. Or maybe let's go talk to, her. let's go eat lunch with her. Let's go, let's go talk to her, because all we see with this grumpy person. Let's keep stay away from me. We don't want to be bothered. Let's stay away from her. She got a lot going on. But then when you get to open up, and her class allows you to open up, it's like let me go talk to you, and I want to let you know that you touched me, or I see where it's coming from. And if you need anything, or any help, advice, or anything, I'm here. And Some people need that sometimes. They never had that.
0: And this shows the power of helping people who are incarcerated to reflect on the human quality of compassion. Jail is a place of pain and, for many, depression. And often the people who land here were already caught up in some form of deep suffering. A palpable cloud of gloom hangs over prisons. This afternoon, Sister Greta Ronningen leads a guided meditation inviting these two young inmates to focus on some symbol or image of peace to calm their hearts.
5: This kind of practice of praying a sacred moment or meditating is a way to really reconnect to your peaceful, centered, loving part of you that exists and then we spend more of our life functioning from that place and when we see ourselves be agitated or you know going being annoyed which is a big big issue in here is to just take a couple deep breaths remember your symbol reconnect with your compassion for others for yourself Life is a lot easier, right, when we can, re- when we can be functioning from a place of, of love and from a place of peacefulness, and it's, it's possible. We just have to kind of do the, do the homework.
0: As I sat listening to the meditation, I found it was possible to relax into a tranquil mood, even in the coldness of a jail building. I touched a moment of mini-transcendence from a most improbable location. It was truly an inside job. Sister Greta is a longtime yoga teacher who in 2010 founded an Episcopal monastery in the Benedictine tradition called the Community of Divine Love near Pasadena. As a chaplain, she visits prisoners, some of whom are confined to the dorm setting.
5: In these big units where there's a couple hundred wi- women, there's a lot of kind of low-level annoyances or not being nice to each other um, and then escalating to fights. There's another unit that's high power That's um, where they're, they're isolated. They're really in their own cell. They're never let out with anyone else. And I find that unit... You can feel the compassion for each other in that unit. There's a l- real caring for each other. They, they, they found a way to communicate and to, to, to talk through their door and know each other's voices well enough. And they're very, they, if it, it's somebody's birthday, there's always somebody making a cake, which
0: you know is out of like cookies. Fellow prisoners may be able to relate empathetically to one another because of their shared circumstances. The essence of compassion is forming a connection, which can happen at different levels. There's sort
5: of three big steps of connecting to a divine, sacred presence that's a grounding, getting connected. That's very important, like we did in this today. We did some of that. Then there's compassion for self. And then the next is compassion for others. And then ultimately compassion for who we might perceive as an enemy. So I would say that the hardest part is probably compassion for self. For sure. I think the underlying reason for violence is shame.
0: The reason for violence is shame.
5: Yes. Is being told you're not good enough, you, you'll never amount to anything. Those shaming messages that have been in, this, the, the, in poverty and in, in racism that both is done in societal and is done in family systems, those messages are shaming and they're soul killing. And what happens is, is that ongoing shaming becomes like a volcano. So when somebody says the wrong thing to you and says you're hey you to a man it's if you call him a sissy it's very there's a lot of that you you know you 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 homo or you know that 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 will trigger an explosion of violence um, for women it's like a blanket of shame on their heart on their, on their very being of you know and 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 then it's compounded by rape 85% of the women are incarcerated and they not in are have been
0: raped 85%, 85% of percent. female prisoners have been raped That's right. And so what is the connection between being victimized and committing crime? Shame. Shame, David. I
5: you've been violated, you have you sh- women who've been Violet, for the most part, feel culpable, they feel dirty, they feel ashamed of themselves. And then when it gets compounded by a family structure that doesn't support them, that oftentimes will push them out of the house, if it was a stepfather who did the rape, they'll end up in foster care, they'll run away, they'll end up in prostitution, they'll end up in Juvie Hall, they'll end up here eventually when they're when they're older. So that shame is... is um, I, I've, I've let everybody down, I'm no good, I'm, I'm worthless. That, that, this, that's been given, fed them. Uh, that creates, I don't care, screw everybody. I've seen so many women tattooed across their chest in a semicircle, F the world. They've been left out, they've been, they've been discarded, And they're shamed and they're
0: they're angry. And these feelings of alienation are a common thread among people who get into trouble at the margins of society. The young men who are drawn to jihadi movements or who join gangs in our urban areas very often tell of feeling disenfranchised and disaffected. It's a recipe for rage. Sister Greta Ronningen.
5: What motivates um, violence is being disrespected. I'm being disrespected. Bam, out comes the fist. So we want to create, cultivate an actual environment of respect that will counter that and also start to build a sense of value. So that's connecting with the divine. So first feeling that I'm loved by God, maybe maybe not my family or society, but God loves me.
0: Frank Rogers, who has trained these jailhouse chaplains at the Claremont School of Theology, says a first principle is developing awareness of the compassion that has come our way. Experience like a mother's natural tenderness with her infant, or a confidant's willingness to lend a sympathetic ear, or even common courtesy from a stranger. He says it's important to notice these gestures of kindness in everyday life. If we don't get even glimpses of that, we
2: won't survive. We would completely shut down. So that we're walking at all is testimony that somewhere along the way, a parent, a coach, a teacher, a friend, somewhere has met us, and, and we felt a little whisper of care. So, so that's in all of our experience. One of the practices that we do in our program is, is we invite everyone to just scan over their lives, like a photo album, just thumbing through a photo album, and, and look for moments, just little moments where you experienced care or a peacefulness or a sense of connection. And in 15 years of teaching these practices, I have never once found a person who could not think of a story. Every single human being has, has those moments. We forget them. I mean we kind of live knocked out of those and and it's a it's a spiritual practice. It's a renewing practice to take the time and, and remember some of those moments that happen and that are very profound and to kinda of let the juice, the the grace of those come back over us. Gratitude is one of the ways we do that, remembering the things we're grateful grateful for.
0: Now what about for people who may have had that personal history and who find themselves in a situation where things are just miserable and they don't feel that there's a lot of compassion flowing to lift them up.
2: Yeah, i was one of them. I know that space very clearly. Let me then just be with that experience and cultivate a mindful awareness. Okay, so I'm not feeling like there's been any love in my life at all. Let me just take a moment and let me take an internal step back from that experience and have a mindful awareness that my inner experience is feeling right now like like it's never been loved in its life. And, and, and let me just hold that. You know, it feels like a, a five-year-old who's been abandoned and, and is sitting in an alleyway all by herself and has never had anybody notice her. And she's just, just tucked in on herself in, in grief and aloneness. That's what that feels like inside of me right now. But as I hold that mindfully, how do I begin to feel towards that five-year-old who's in the alley? Well, my heart breaks for that five-year-old And my own resources for compassion begin to open up a bit toward my own experience. We're just going to be with that. And as we are with that, our own compassion begins to open up.
0: Frank Rogers, author of Practicing Compassion. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Tony Oliart rose editorial assistance from Ken Rogers, Kathy Graham, Mark Kilstein, Bond Collard, and Joe Arkinstall. webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Noel Paul Stuckey and to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media.
5: You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org.
0: This segment in our series, The Power of Nonviolence, is Humankind Program Number 235. The executive
5: producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio.